Uh, I hope you like that. Um, this week, as it, as we were talking about that, I'd be speaking on boldness. Uh, pastor Greg, our lead pastor, showed me this video, and I was like, I I have to share this with everybody. Everybody needs to see this. You're either gonna love it or you're gonna hate it. Uh, typically, it's something you would show in youth ministry, where I spend most of my time, uh, or for those at Young at Heart. Um, but just a quick plug: you saw the Right Now Media logo at the end of this. This is off of Right Now Media. If you've never heard of Right Now Media, it's uh, sort of an online database like Netflix type thing. Um, it's got great content like this, uh, but it's got Bible studies and all like video type stuff, um, sermons, all kinds of great stuff. And because you go to Olive Branch, uh, you get access to it completely for free. Um, you can get it through the app. So download the church app if you have it, and it's in the plugged in section. You'll see a little Right Now Media button, or you can find it on our website in the small group section. A lot of good stuff on there, uh, like Bold Spice. Um, but here's the thing. There's, there's no such thing as Bold Spice spray, which is probably a good thing. Um, and, and so for me to talk about boldness today, I can't just be like, go to your local store and buy some Bold Spice uh, because it doesn't exist. And what we're going to see um, in today's passage is that there's a pattern that sort of leads to boldness. I'm going to give that to you up front. And it's that miracles lead to questions, which leads to the gospel shared, which leads to salvation and opposition. And it's in that faith of opposition that we are given the opportunity to be bold. And, and we'll see this pattern significantly in the passage, but I believe that we also see it a little bit in life sometimes too. And, and to kind of make my point, I'll share with you uh, how I met my wife. So we were in high school when we met. We were high school sweethearts. Um, she was a senior. I was a junior. And uh, my buddy was going to actually take me to introduce me to her friend. Um, they were cheerleaders, and so we were going to their game where they were cheering at, and we were supposed to meet them at halftime. And But I didn't know who the girl was that I was supposed to meet, because the picture he showed me, he like printed on printer paper, and like I don't know if it went in the washing machine or what, but I could barely tell it was even a person in the photo. So I didn't know who I was meeting, and so we get to the game, and because uh, we didn't have a game that night, and so we're sitting there on the on the in the bleachers, and I'm looking out at all the cheerleaders, uh, like trying to figure out which girl is the girl I'm supposed to meet. I kind of felt like the bachelor, like I should have a rose ceremony or something. And uh, maybe not so much. And, uh, and so at halftime, they come up and the one girl who I was like, like, oh man, I hope it's her. She stood out because she was in like a track suit. She wasn't in the normal like cheer uniform because she had been injured. And so I was like drawn to her for looking different, but then also like being just like super beautiful and or hot as I would have described her then. And, and so they come up and it's not her that I'm supposed to meet, but her best friend. But like, I just want to talk to her and her best friend didn't really want to talk to me either. So it was okay. And so like, this was the miracle, right? The miracle was is that she found me attractive, that she wanted to talk to me. That was a miracle. And that miracle led to some questions, right? It led to some dialogue. And I wanted to ask her like, how did you get so beautiful? But I knew that that would be like weird. And so I figured I should ask her something less weird. Like, I really like your socks. Where'd you get those? Because... She was wearing socks like I'd never seen a girl wear socks before. And she's like, oh, they're my dad's. And I'm like, now am I hitting on you or your dad? What's happening right now? And, and after all that, right, comes the good news. She wants to give me her phone number, right? And, and so, yeah, big deal. And so she, I get her phone number, but what do I do with that good news, right? I either have to accept that or I can reject it. And so uh, six days later, 
Um, I had not called her because I was not bold enough. I was too scared. Uh, and, and she told my buddy, tell him to call me tonight or he can lose my number. And so it was like, make or break. I called her and here we are. We were married. We got kids. A lot of junk happened in between uh, <laughs> for us to get to where we are today, uh, including Jesus. And, uh, right? and, and But we see that pattern, a miracle, dialogue, questions, the gospel shared. Um, and then that comes with salvation and opposition. In that opposition, we have the opportunity to be bold. Um, and so we're going to see in today's passage, uh, we're going to really pick up back in the middle of the story that Greg started last week, which was Peter and John in chapter 3, they, they show up to the temple, and outside the temple there's a man begging and because he's handicapped and he's been handicapped his whole life, can't walk, and they heal him, right? The miracle happens. He runs into the temple jumping, and everybody sees that this guy who's been handicapped his whole life is healed, which leads to the questions and the gospel shared. And that's where we pick up today in in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name are you able to do these things? By what power, what name are you able to do these things, right? So, miracle, questions, gospel shared. We see the salvation, right? We're now at 5,000 believers. The previous number Luke gives us in Acts is 3,000. So we've got about 2,000 new Christians, new Christ followers in this scene. Yet here we have also some opposition, right? The religious leaders, essentially the leaders of the temple, the people who have the authority in the temple come to them and they say, by what name are you able to do what you're doing? By what name are you doing these things that you're doing? This isn't the first time a Christian had walked into the temple and, and been questioned by the leaders there. The same thing happened to Jesus. Uh, you can read about it in Matthew Uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 21 and Mark's gospel in chapter 11 and in Luke's gospel in chapter 20. But the scene is, as Jesus shows up to the temple, kind of like Peter and John, and he goes into the temple and he clears the temple out of all the money changing and all the stuff that's going on. And he begins to teach and the religious leaders come to him, except they ask him more directly than they ask Peter and John. They ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? You see, when they ask Peter and John, by what name are you doing these things? They're really asking by what authority. Your name is is the essence of authority. It's kind of like um, I sometimes will walk into uh, my kitchen and I will find my three-year-old or my six-year-old daughters um, in the pantry or in the fridge, like literally in the pantry or in the fridge. I didn't know I had a walk-in fridge until I had a three-year-old. And... I don't know if that's a selling point or not. Uh, and, and, and I catch them, right? And my daughter will like zippity flowing that food down her throat and pretend like she's got nothing in her mouth. And I'm like, and the question is what? Who said you could eat this junk food? Who said, right? That's, that's the question that we see here. Who said that you can teach and do these things that you're doing? By what 
name, right? Like Juliet. What? Who said you could eat, Mom? Oh, okay, that's fine then. I guess we'll just, right? And that's kind of what we see here is, is, is by what authority, right? What we're really witnessing here is a power struggle. You have the leaders of the temple coming up and questioning by what authority are Peter and John teaching in the temple and, and, and healing this guy. There's a significant power struggle here, and that's because the gospel threatens authority. And I never really thought about it until honestly this week, but the gospel threatens authority. If you think about it, If you don't know Jesus as your authority, in life, most people want to be good people. And if Jesus isn't your authority to be that good person, right, or to be saved, then usually you are, and you dictate what makes you good. You're the authority in your life. No, no, I do these things, and so I'm a good person. Am I perfect? No, but I am a good person. And the gospel comes in and says, sorry, yeah, you you do good things, but you're not a good person. And it threatens that authority. It says only Jesus can, can make you right. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can make you good. And it threatens that authority in us. And it says you need to remove that self-righteousness. You can't make yourself right. Right? And not just that, right? I mean, even like countries. Countries will uh, have banned Christianity and persecute Christians, because it doesn't just threaten like the authority of ourselves, but it threatens authority of nations. They recognize that the gospel says you don't get to dictate as a leader or our governing body what is good for a nation or what is good for people or what is good for you. Because at the end of the day, it's not laws that will save this world or save people. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. That is the only authority that will save people not laws, not a governing body, and individuals don't get to set the standard of what is good. We as individuals, we don't get to set that standard. We try, but the reality is, is is we don't. And when we hear the gospel, it sometimes feels like opposition. We feel that tension, right? If you've not been raised in the church or sometimes even if you have like when you hear the good news you feel the tension of that authority threatened in your life you maybe don't recognize it at that as that but typically the response is like i'm not going to like let some god tell me what to do i like my life i like what i'm doing i like where i'm going this is the life i'm going to live and and so you're like i don't need that get away from me and sometimes it even feels offensive like who are you to tell me what to do right And when you feel that way, it's because you're the one who has the authority in your life. You're living with your own authority. And Jesus comes along and is a threat to that authority. And so when we share the gospel and and people oppose that truth, right? Like we see with Peter and John, like how do we respond to the opposition? Well, let's see how Peter and John respond to that opposition in the next few verses here, 8 through 13. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means that he has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Like, first thing here, they're bold, right? Like, so bold, like these leaders recognize their boldness. But the boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. It says, says Peter became filled with the Holy Spirit. So our boldness comes from God, specifically his Holy Spirit. But when I first read this passage this week and, and I was kind of like getting into it, God really convicted me on something in this. You see, it says in, in here that they took note or recognized their relationship with Jesus. And I just kind of felt God ask me, Jared, who is recognizing your relationship with me? Who takes note of your relationship with Jesus? And I was like, oh, I hope everybody, please, God, like help, you know? But I ask you that same thing, and I don't know if that convicts you or not, but man, who is recognizing your relationship with Jesus? Who is taking note of your relationship with Jesus because of how boldly you live it out? Is it just Christians at church, right? People, just other Christians and and people who go to church? Because if it is, we're probably not living bold enough. I don't think we're living with the boldness that we're called to have that that God can give us through his Holy Spirit because ultimately truth is for all people, not just us as Christians. And so we need to be bold with people outside the church, right? And and, uh, Greg went over this last week in Acts 3.25 when they're teaching everybody about what they had just witnessed. Like when they're talking about Jesus, they say, listen, like he is the blessing that is to come out of our nation of Israel to bless all people. All nations. This is for everybody, right? Not just Christians. Not just those who believe. This is for everybody. But it's, it's hard to share the gospel with everybody. It's hard to talk about our faith and, and share our faith or even live our faith out in such a way that people recognize we spend time with Jesus, right? It requires boldness. Sometimes it requires boldness to talk about your faith with your family that don't know him as their authority, right? Sometimes it requires boldness to talk to your friends that don't know Jesus. Sometimes it requires boldness to talk to your coworkers that don't know Jesus, right? But here's the thing. Peter and John aren't sharing with their friends or their family or their coworkers. They're sharing with their oppressors, right? The people accusing them, their accusers, the people trying to get them to be quiet. They are sharing this because it's for all people and they are doing it with boldness. And it is hard and it does require boldness because when you share that good news with someone who doesn't know Jesus as the authority, they feel that tension and you feel that tension of that power struggle in their life of what has authority over them. And it's uncomfortable, And because you care about them and they care about you, it's like, let's just avoid the tension. I don't want to be bold. I don't want to offend you. I don't don't want to be hurt you. But they share that truth. And the truth is what? It's in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What name is that? Verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. It is Jesus' name. In other words, it is Jesus' authority. His is the only authority 
that can save us. His is the only authority that can make us right and make us good. There is no other authority. We can't do it on our own. And for these, in this courtroom type setting, these religious leaders, like the evidence stood in front of them, right? This guy was literally standing in front of them, healed. Like, and they're being told this is because of the authority of Jesus. What do you do with that? When, when you don't want Jesus's authority in your life, right? When you're not a believer, when you're not a Christian or a Christ follower, and you don't have that authority yet, you don't really want that authority. Like what, how do you respond? What do you do with that? Well, let's look at their response. Verse 14 through 22. It says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But then, or but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Right? They recognize. They, they, they send Peter and John aside, and they kind of confer, and they huddle up like, What do we do? Like, we can't really do anything. Like, this dude was healed. It was a notable sign. And not like, oh, that was the notable miracle. Let's take note of this and remember this for centuries. Like, no, notable in the sense, like what they're really, what it's really saying, what it really means is like everybody saw it. This was confirmed. There, there was, you didn't need to like send out an investigator to figure out if this actually happened. Like everybody knew it and they knew it. They saw it. They had the confirmation. The evidence was there in front of them. And they could not deny it. See, here's what's true about the gospel. You can't deny that it's true. You can't deny it. But even though you can't deny it, here's what they do with it. Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You see, even though you can't deny the truth of the gospel, even though they couldn't deny the miracle and the authority of Jesus, they could still reject it. See, so many people believe that if I just saw a miracle happen, I would believe. That's not true. It's not. You don't know that for sure. Because at the end of the day, the miracle what? Greg talked about it last week. The miracle points to a message. And so while you may not be able to deny that that message is true, you for sure still have the ability to reject that message and what it points to. In this case, you, even though you can't deny the, the authority of Jesus, you can still reject that authority, right? And, and, and essentially, like for them, like the debate wasn't, is God real, Right? Like one, they're Jews, they believed in God, but two, they're also seeing this miracle happen, evidence of God at work, specifically through Jesus, right? And, and they still reject it. And so they just go, you know what? We don't want you to teach in this name anymore. In other words, we don't want you to talk about the authority of Jesus anymore, right? Really what they're saying is, is I'm gonna tell Jesus what to do, Right? Jesus may have told you to do this. God may have said to you for you to do these things, but we are telling you, do not do this anymore. That authority is done. 
Don't talk about his authority. Don't teach about his authority. Don't do things in his authority. Put it aside. They did not want to let go the authority that they had. It was too scary for them, too hard for them, whatever it was. They didn't want to let go of it. They didn't want to give that over to Jesus. And they tell them not to teach. And, and, and as ridiculous as it sounds for us as Christians, right, to like tell Jesus what to do, like to, like to have, to say, I have authority over Jesus. Jesus today, not going to take up my cross. You're going to do my laundry. You know, like it's ridiculous. It's rid- I mean, he probably would do the laundry because he's Jesus, right? Uh, but it's a ridiculous statement. And it was ridiculous to Peter and John too, because here's what they say in 19 and 20. It says, but Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Man, that's like, that's bold statement right there. In other words, hey, like if you want us to respect your authority over God's authority, like that's between you and God. We don't want nothing to do with that. Step away, lightning bolts anytime, right? Like, like if you want to go that route, you go that route. But for us, We can't help but share about this good news. We can't help but talk about the authority of Jesus. It's like a sneeze. How many of you have ever sneezed before? Few of us. Okay, for the rest of you, it's a great moment in life. It's great. It feels really good when it comes out, right? Uh, So it's like a sneeze, right? Like as a kid, sneezes, there's certain things in life that when you're a kid, like they just come natural. You can't even stop them. Like sleeping as a kid, you just do it and like you feel good. As an adult, you like you wake up in more pain and more tired than when you're asleep. Uh, Sneezing is like like that too. As a kid, you're just like all over everybody, everywhere. Like it just comes out. The older you get, it becomes hard to sneeze sometimes and like you can't get it out. Or sometimes, and it hurts, right? It doesn't feel good when you can't get that sneeze out. Or you're in a situation where a sneeze might be uh, disrespectful or like disturb the moment or, or, or be disruptive, right? I actually, um, in junior high, uh, seventh grade home ec got sent to the principal's office for sneezing too loud in the class. The teacher did not buy that I needed to sneeze that loud. But it's like, when you got to sneeze, like the more you let it out, like the better that feeling is, you know? Like you just, you just got to let, and she didn't want to buy that. So the principal's office, I went. She said, God bless you. <laughs> I don't know if she did, but that was funny. Uh, and right? And so it's, it's like that. And so it hurts to keep it in, right? It doesn't feel good. And so what do we, what do, what do people tell you? If you got a sneeze, you feel it coming, but you feel like it's not going to come out. What do you do? Look, I'm hearing people, I'm hearing mumbles. Be, be more confident. Look at the sun, look at a light, look, right? Look at the sun. What are we told about the sun our whole life? Don't look at the sun. You're going to go blind. But it's like, when you got a sneeze, I choose blindness. I got to get this sneeze out. Right? The gospel's the same way. It hurts more to keep it in than to let it out and deal with whatever consequence or opposition might come. And that's what Peter and John are saying. Like, we can't keep this in. We've got to let it out. Send me to the principal's office. I choose blindness. (laughs) But here's the deal. We don't just want to go around sneezing Jesus all over people like, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus right? In people's faces. Because boldness isn't rudeness. It's not, right? We, we don't want to be rude when we boldly share the, the gospel. We don't want to be rude when we boldly live out our faith. 
But I think sometimes we confuse boldness and rudeness, right? Like all caps, exclamation point, exclamation, 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 sin, bold, right? No, that's not bold. That's just rude. The bold thing would be to like have that conversation in person, right? Or it's, it's like, it's like a, a doctor. A doctor comes in. I, I've, I've had the doctor appointment before where my doctor comes in and it's like, Jared, you know, look at the test, got all your charts and data here and you know, you're, you're a little overweight, you, you know, what's your diet like? And, and like, that's hard to hear, right? No one wants to hear from the doctor that you're overweight. And, and you don't want to hear like, no more double doubles. Like, that's not, say no to animal style. You don't want that bumper sticker. And <laughs> you don't want to hear that, right? But like, the approach makes the difference. The better the approach, the more likely you are to listen to the authority of the doctor. You're not going to listen to the doctor that comes in and goes, you know, we took tests and measurements and all that, but like, I can just look at you, dude, you're fat, eat less, and then walks out, drops a clipboard, you know, like, like you, you don't want that doctor in your life because that is rude. Both people are sharing the same truth, right? Both doctors are sharing the same truth, but one is doing it rudely, not boldly. And so we need to be bold and not rude when we share the gospel. And that's how Peter and John are. They're, they're, they're bold, but they, they weren't rude in, in their approach. Ultimately, so much so that like, there was nothing that they could do but just let them go. They just let them go. And so what happens after they let them go? You can read this later, but the scene is in, in verse 23 through 31, they, they go back to the church and they report everything that happened. We went to the temple and, and this miracle happened and we healed this guy. And then like he jumped and everybody saw him in the temple and they're asking how that happened. So we were like, Jesus, duh. And then like the, the leaders came up and they're like, whoa, Jesus, who? Like what, who said you can do this? And then they, they arrested us. And then we had this court session and we were accused of teaching in Jesus's name. And so we were just like, yeah. We were doing this in Jesus' name. Matter of fact, we just don't want you to know that we we're doing it. Tell everybody. Tell all of Israel. We want everybody to know that this is because of the authority of Jesus. And, and, they were, and then they let us go after threatening us a little bit. And the church goes, man, that is amazing. And they, they respond with, we need to pray. Like, not just pray and thank God for this, but like pray for more of this. God, make us as bold Give us the amount of boldness that you gave Peter and John. But they didn't just pray for boldness. See, they actually prayed for close calls too. They, they, they prayed that they would be put in situations like that again where they would have to depend on God to show up, which is a little bit crazy, kind of like my three-year-old, Juliet. It's like when I throw her around and play with her, my oldest, she's kind of like, don't throw me. She sees my youngest having fun with it and then she wants to do it. She's like, no, and like crunches and tightens up. My three-year-old, I throw her and the closer to death she gets, the more she wants to do it. She's like, do it again, dad, do it again. I don't know why she has a Southern accent when she asks to do it again. I don't know what YouTube video she's watching to pick that up or what, but she picks up the Southern accent, she does it again, and it's like the closer to death she gets, the crazier, the closer the call the more she wants to do it again. And that's, that's the church with the good news, right? They're like, man, like the, the more that they need to depend on God, the closer the call, the more they want to do it. God, do it again. Like put us in scenarios like that again. And so as a church, we need to pray for close calls and boldness. But here's the thing. They weren't, the early church, they weren't thrill seekers, right? They weren't adrenaline junkies. They were abolitionists. 
They wanted to free people from the authority of their sin, from the authority of the vices that are destructive in their life, and that they might let go of those things that have authority that that give death and hand that authority over to Jesus, who has authority over death and gives us new life. And so we need to pray, yeah, for boldness, but not just boldness, but the opportunity to be bold. We need to pray for those close calls because ultimately it's the impossible circumstance that leads to the miracle, that leads to the questions asked in the dialogue, that leads to the gospel shared, that leads to salvation, that leads to opposition, and ultimately the opportunity for boldness. And so it's not just enough just to ask to be bold. Because Peter and John, they didn't just walk into that temple and just start sharing the good news and sneezing Jesus all over the place. They performed that miracle. They walked up to an impossible situation and made eye contact with a crippled man and said, look at me. In Jesus' name, be healed. Get up. Walk. And that miracle happened. It is through the impossible circumstance that the miracle happened which led to those questions, which allowed them to share the gospel and see thousands of people saved and yet also deal with some opposition that they had to be bold in. And so maybe you're you're a believer, right? If you're a Christian, you're sitting here like, great, yes, I'll be bold. And maybe I'll pray for the close call thing. I'll get there. But like the miracle aspect, like what do I do with that? Because... Yeah, I believe miracles happen. Greg shared last week, they do happen all the time. Over 400 million people have seen a miracle, right? But like, I, that's still like hard for me. So like, what do I, how do I get from miracle to boldness? How do I do that? Because the miracle part seems hard. But I'm gonna remind you what Greg reminded us all last week. And that is if you are a believer, you've experienced a miracle. You see, for us as humans, it is not natural for us to say, I will give the authority I live under And I will set that aside and give the authority to God through Jesus in my life. That is not a natural thing. For most people, we go, no, 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 no. I want to dictate how I live my life. I want to say what makes me feel good. I want to do what makes me feel right, what puts a smile on my face, because I want to do and live the life that makes me have enjoyment. I want to determine that. Because it kind of feels like what God wants for me is anything but that. And so it is not natural for us to go, yes, all that aside, God, you are my authority. Jesus, I surrender to you. So when that moment happens, it is a miracle because in that moment, instantly, that heart of stone is removed and you are given a heart of flesh. In one second, you're like, God, I want nothing to do with you. And the very next, you're like, God, all I want to do is love you the way you love me. That's the miracle you have if you're a believer. Live that out boldly. Share it boldly. But if you're not a believer, if you've never said, Jesus, I give complete authority of my life over to you, then I want to share a miracle with you. I'm not going to make someone be healed or anything like that. I'm going to share with you the greatest miracle I've ever experienced. See, I didn't grow up in the church and it wasn't until high school that a buddy of mine tricked me into going to a Christian winter camp and I gave my life to Christ there. And I, and I asked Jesus to be the authority in my life, but while I knew that's what I needed 
There were still things in my life I wasn't willing to let go of. You see, for me, the authority in my life that said, this is what makes you belong, this is what makes you whole, is whatever the popular people did in high school. I couldn't let go of that authority in my life. The authority that said, Jared, this is what makes you love, this is what makes you worth it, this is what makes you worthy was my girlfriend. And I couldn't let go of that authority in my life. And eventually, more and more things took the seat of God in my life and replaced Jesus to the point to where nobody recognized that I spent time with Jesus. Nobody took note of my relationship with Jesus because I began to live so selfishly. I became my own authority once again. And in a year and a half after I graduated high school, I overdosed. And as I lay there in the hospital room, in the emergency room with them pumping all the stuff back into me that, it, that I depleted my body of to keep me going. I just asked God, please keep me alive. I recognized how selfish I had been and how much I'd lived for myself and really how I'd just been like, God, I want nothing to do with you. I don't care that you love me. I don't care that you know what's best for me. This feels good and so this is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to pursue these substances. I'm going to do these acts because it makes me feel good. So God, leave me alone. I'm the authority. And I recognized that in that moment. And I just said, God, please take this away from me. And like that, my desires for all that stuff went away. And I cared so much to do nothing than to just love God and serve him and share his good news with everybody. And I was so overwhelmed (laughs) in that change, to go from one moment wanting nothing to do with God and feeling like I could never say no to these things to the next wanting nothing to do with them and to serve God. A couple weeks later, I was like, I was just everywhere I went, I just was sharing this moment with everybody and I was, I was on a plane and I just said that I'm not the person that talks to people on planes. It stresses me out to like greet people because I feel like I'm gonna say something stupid. And, and I sit down on the plane and I just look to the lady and the guy next to me and they were probably like, why is this large man in between us? And I was like, hey, how's it going? I'm Jared, I overdosed a couple weeks ago. And, okay, weird. But after talking and sharing the story, they looked at me and go like, I would have never guessed that you went through that. And I said, you know what? People said the same thing the day after it happened. The day after it happened, nobody could tell that I just overdosed the night before. Nobody knew that I was living under the authority of me, that I was consumed by the authority of substance and desire. Because God completely made me new. And so if you're not a believer, if you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be the authority in my life. And and you're ready to let go of the authority of the things that honestly, even though they might feel good and maybe make you smile, ultimately destroy. Ask him to remove that from you now and give you the desire to live under his authority, the source of good, the source of love. So let's bow our heads together and close our eyes. And I just ask for the believers in the room, for those who know Christ, that you would pray for those who don't know Jesus as their authority. And if you're in this room and you've never given authority over to Jesus, I just, I wanna pray for you right now. So would you raise your hand? 
so I can pray with you. And if you do pray and you do surrender to, to give authority over to Jesus, like find someone after, find me after. Talk to the prayer team in the corner and just, just connect so we can pray with you. But let's pray together right now. God, we thank you that you are the authority in our lives. God, we thank you that with your authority, we have the hope of eternal life to come and a full life today. God, we pray that, that you help us to live in such a way that, that, that we pray for the close calls, God. We pray to live boldly. And that through that boldness, people would recognize not rudeness, but a relationship with you. And that when we face that opposition, God, just help us to boldly share that truth, even for those who are making it difficult. God, for those in this room right now that are, that are surrendering all to you, I just, I just pray that, that you guide them every step of the way that you have for me and so many others. Teach us your ways, God. Help us to know what is right. Help us to serve you and love you the way that you love us and help us to love people the way that you love people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.